0: there you go. Abba Father, thank you for your love and these amazing people that you're allowing me to meet with, to look at your word, and discover life through truth and through your grace and your love. Ask for blessing right now, please. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Isaiah 30, and uh, I want to go slow. We're going to go slow. Are you ready? So well, instead of reading the whole chapter and then, then walking, let's just walk, let's go right in. Here we go. So, you do, you do. <laughs> so Isaiah 30 verse 1 uh, begins a commentary on the, the fear that Assyria is now on them. It, the storm is hitting, which, you, which you've been afraid of is happening, and they are panicking. Now, a quick comment about Hezekiah, who's leading Israel at this time. Um, Hezekiah is not mentioned. In the team of people who made the decision, we've got to get out of town. The pestilence is coming. We've got to get out of town. Um, you guys saw what happened with the big train wreck, right? Mm-hmm. And all that ridiculously toxic chemical. And what it, And everybody, flee. They were fleeing a dangerous area. That's what's going on. Assyria is is coming, if you want to live, get out of here, and they are headed to Egypt, right? And it's interesting, there's times when fleeing to Egypt is actually a good thing. When Herod sent his men in to kill all the babies, right, out of Bethlehem, two years of age and younger, right? Where did Joseph go? Egypt. Egypt. Well, watch what happens to, to this tonight. It's interesting. So, woe to the rebellious children declares the Lord who executes a plan, etzah in Hebrew but not mine and they make an alliance but not by my spirit in order to add sin to sin in other words Judah and Israel are in this mess because of sin because they are not aligning with God's spirit. Now judgment is coming, and they're actually making it worse, you know. Uh, I think it, uh, my memory here, I think it may have been Robert Frost, one of the great poets, who made the comment that it's a curious thing that men who are lost tend to run faster. There's something about fear that can drive a man to do something really, really dumb and the lost man in panic will run faster when he needs to come down and stay put, right? And so this is what's going on. These people realize judgment's coming, a nation's coming, and all the other nations around are just crumbling, they're watching it fall apart. And the leaders of Israel have made a plan. It's a, a decision, a political decision and they have not consulted God. And they're adding sin to sin, they're making it worse, who proceed down to Egypt without praying to me or consulting with me. Does anybody have a different translation at 30 verse two? They proceed down to Egypt without consulting me. Anybody else a different translation besides consulting, prayer, anything? consulting, yeah. The idea here it's Sha'al in Hebrew and it, it's commonly translated as ask. Yeah. Psalm 27, four, one thing I have asked and that I will seek after and that's to be in your courts. I'd rather be a temple keeper, a doorkeeper, in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of witness. The des- desire of my heart, just one thing I'm Sha'al asking for. And you're saying, they're saying nobody's talking to me. God says you're not asking me about this. You're talking to the wrong people. You're talking to political leaders who are justifying a plan that's going to end citizenship. You're going to head south, and you're going to take refuge in the safety of Pharaoh, and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Uh, sh- shelter, refuge, oos in Hebrew. Therefore, the safety of Pharaoh will be your shame and the shelter in the shadow of Egypt, your humiliation. For their officials are at Zoan, and their ambassadors arrive at Cuts. Everyone will be ashamed because of a people who did not benefit them, who are not a help or benefit but a source of shame in disgrace. So the prophet Isaiah is saying, you're making things worse. You have not sought me, and now you're seeking to, to find help in Egypt. Huge mistake. There's going to be no benefit. And it reminds me of Romans 621. Why do you uh, try to, to derive benefit from that which you were ashamed? Romans 621. And, and then you have this really curious description about animals in the Negev the pronouncement concerning the animals of the Negev through a land of distress and anguish from where come lionesses, lion, viper, and flying serpent. That sounds scary, flying serpent. They carry their riches on the backs of young donkeys and their treasures or treasures on camel's humps to a people who will not benefit them. Even Egypt, whose help is vain and empty. Therefore, I have called her Rahab, who has been exterminated. Now go, write it on a tablet in their presence and inscribe it on a scroll that it may serve in the time to come as a witness forever. So, curious that he's saying, you're going to go to an, a, an evil, dangerous place, you will not have benefit, and describes the dangerous animals they're gonna encounter on the way. And in other words, the whole effort is a failed plan. And there will be very, very dangerous uh, animals that you're going to encounter. And um, I want to let's let's do this. Somebody turn to First Corinthians ten eleven, and read that to me. Dale, you want to get that? First Corinthians ten eleven, and I want you to pay attention to the concept of s- scripture. You said ten eleven. Yes, sir. First Corinthians ten eleven. And that's it. The idea that uh, Paul is communicating is that we, as modern Christians, and certainly the Corinthians were modern in their day, need to go back to look at the Old Testament because it was written for our instruction, right? So that we would not make the same mistakes Israel made. In fact, that's actually Paul's primary argument in chapter 10. And you've got that in Isaiah 30, verse 8. Now go, write it on a tablet in their presence, and inscribe it on a scroll that, they, that it may serve in the time to come as a witness forever. say, saying, write this stuff down, because there's a people who are going to need, they need to learn from the mistake that is happening. Wow, that's really serious. For this is a rebellious and false people. They're rebellious people, false sons, Sons who refuse to listen to the instruction of the Lord. Who say to the seers, you know what a seer is? They're prophets. Okay, Who say to the seers, you must not see visions. And to the prophets, you must not prophesy the truth. Can you imagine telling your spiritual leaders, do not talk to us about truth. We don't hear. Speak to us pleasant words. And prophesy illusions does that sound familiar for the American church oh my goodness it is what is known as the prosperity gospel Mm -hmm. right if you'll just ask for it God is ready to bless you God's hand of favor is open and and he'll bless you yeah so um, someone read first Timothy 4 1 to 3 somebody want to get that Phyllis, you want to read that? 1 Timothy 4, 1 to 3. What was that Corinthians section? Yeah, 1 Corinthians 10, 11. And what Paul is doing, he's, it's really, Bruce, it's the big picture argument for the Lord's Supper. Paul has, in chapter 1 and 2, identifies that, that, that he has been given a report from Chloe's people that some really, really unhealthy things are happening. So he makes a dirty laundry list, and it's called 1 Corinthians. And he writes his laundry list out. And so chapter 1 on to chapter 11, right at about verse 16, is Paul's addressing problem after problem after problem. And in chapter 10 he says, look, you guys need to go backwards to Scripture and read what's written um, and learn from Israel is what he's doing. So the Old Testament is a tremendous... Value to us. So look at what Paul writes to Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Go ahead, Phyllis. The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared. As with the hot iron, they forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. Yeah. And the latter days people get, get the truth all mixed up. Paul also says that there's a time when people just want their ears tickled. Just want their ears tickled. You know speak speak put honey in my ears, you know. Speak of pleasant words. You know And so Israel has become so devoid of a sensitivity to God that they're commanding them these are political leaders are commanding the spiritual leaders to lie. Do not see your visions. Do not prophesy truth, only speak pleasant words. Speak of things that are distorted and illusionary. Get out of the way. <laughs> Turn aside from the path. Stop speaking about us before us about the Holy One of Israel. Stop talking about God. How's that for a low place? We don't want to hear about God anymore. Enough. Enough of this. Um, Thus, or therefore, this is what the Holy One of Israel says. By the way, Holy One is one of Isaiah's favorite titles for God, Kadosh, the Holy One, the Holy One of Israel, the Holy One of Israel. Um, is that Jesus or God?
1: Well, the answer always is
0: yes, <laughs> right? But Isaiah really has in mind here uh, God Himself. So the Holy One says, "Since you have rejected this word, and you have put your trust in oppression and crookedness, and you've relied on them." Therefore, this wrongdoing will be to you like a breach about to fall or a bulge in a high wall whose collapse comes suddenly in an instant and whose collapse is like the smashing of a potter's jar so ruthlessly shattered that a shard will not be found among its pieces to take fire from a hearth or to scoop water from a cistern How's that for reference to practical life in Israel? Take a piece of broken pottery to scoop out embers and ashes from a fire pit, or scoop water out of a cistern. Yeah. So, in other words, your decision to go to Israel uh, or go to Egypt is going to shatter your life. It's like the collapse of a wall. Uh, it's going to be horrific. So. All right. This comment um, at verse 12. You've rejected the truth, the word. And you put your trust in oppression and crookedness. Question, who is, who is the oppressing force and who are the crooked people? What do you think? Isaiah is writing about Israel and the decision to do an alliance with Egypt. So who is the oppressor and the crookeder person? Is he describing the leadership of Israel? or Or is he describing Egypt? You're trusting in the oppressors and the crooked people, or you are oppressive and crooked, you leaders of Israel, because you're you're advising the nation to go south. What do you think? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <She's> been- <clears throat> <clears throat> yeah. 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 Um, in view of the context. The, the immediate criticism is to Israel. And so probably it's identifying the leaders of Israel. You guys, your, your political strategy is really oppressive. And your political strategy is corrupt. And you're going to destroy yourselves you know, for what you're doing. <coughs> Back at it. Verse 15. This is beautiful. For this is what the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, Kadosh, Holy One, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest you'll be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength, but you are not willing. So here's what's interesting. Repentance and rest, quietness and trust are couplets in Hebrew, and they're kind of laid side by side. Repentance and rest, quietness and trust is actually what Israel should do. But instead, they're panicking and they're headed south. Right? Um, repentance, just like the Greek word metanoia, which means to return or change your mind. In Hebrew, shuvah. It means the same thing. It means to return. It can even mean to sit down stop sit down and that couples with rest but the idea is Israel is panicking and running and yet if they would only repent return to God and rest and be quiet (laughs) stop be quiet and trust God that would be your strength but you're not willing and so you say no we're gonna flee on horses We're going to get out of here as quickly as possible. Therefore, you shall flee, and we will ride on swift horses. Therefore, those who pursue you shall be swift. One thousand will flee at the threat of one man. You will flee at the threat of five until you are left like a signal post on a mountaintop, like a flag on a hill. The idea is you are stricken with panic. Watch when one manly warrior stands in front of you. One is going to make a thousand flee because everyone as men have hearts melting like wax. They're all cowards. They're running. Verse 18, Therefore the Lord longs to be gracious to you, and therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is the God of justice, and how blessed are those who long for him. There you go. That's, that's Isaiah. You know, he gets at it. He cuts The ax lays to the root of the tree, and then he'll say some of the most beautiful things. You know, that's, that's Isaiah. It's, it's amazing. What does this say about the heart of God for a people who are literally telling their preachers to stop preaching? and they're truth tellers to stop telling the truth tell us lies give us ear candy stop talking about the Holy One of Israel and horrible things are about to happen and Isaiah says God longs to be gracious to you and therefore he waits on I to have compassion on you what does it say about God? what do you think? how does how does this hit you? that God wants to show grace And compassion. And he longs for that. How does it hit you? Mm -hmm. How does it hit you? Well, I think that 18 links up with 15. Okay? That if Chris Perry would return and rest, stop fighting, stop fighting. And repent in quietness and trust, then that unlocks, releases the graciousness that God has for me and that he waits on high to have compassion on me. There is my strength and there's my rest and peace. But if I fight against that and say, you know, your word will have no place in my life and the opinions of the Holy One, I don't want nothing to do with that. My opinions now are shifting away from the Holy One, Kodosh, to Egypt. I will now let Egypt be my safe place. And Isaiah says, the opposite is going to happen. Egypt is not your safe place. It's the worst place. It's in keeping with what Micah said in chapter 2, verse 10, Arise and leave, for this is no place of rest because of an uncleanness that brings destruction. In other words, get out of Egypt, get away, get away. So, first, that's how it hits me. Well, look, when you ask about, like, how that hits us with God being like that, There's lots of material in Isaiah, lots of material in the other prophets that say, all right, I am washing my hands of Israel. In fact, you know, um, there are a lot of Christians today, and I understand, uh, say that divorce is wrong, and you never divorce, and uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, you always stay married no matter what has happened. Well it's interesting that in Isaiah, and it it's written and I'm telling you it's written plainly in Isaiah, God says, I divorced you Israel. God divorces Israel. Yeah. yeah, a writ of divorce. Yeah. But okay, if you're gonna acknowledge that. You have to keep reading in the chapter, and guess what? God remarries the bride he divorced. <laughs> And that's called restoration, right? So even in judgment, there's hope. glad to be here but I don't know what you people were thinking when you got married you, you know yeah. really yeah. They, they had no business getting married yeah so. Romans eight twenty eight, 28 the world would be a lesser place without Bruce and Jan tries. because if there's no Bruce there's no Janice. and look what good things came out of the stupidity of people. <laughs> of course, I've never done anything stupid, so it doesn't <laughs> apply to me. <man. laughs> I have literally told people that I was like, I don't get it. I, if there wasn't for Chris Perry, there wouldn't be stock in the Yeah, that's true. Kellogg's loves me, so. you know, I, I think, <laughs> Lord, how in the world do you let me continue to live on planet Earth? You know, so <laughs> something about all of sin comes short of the glory. So Peter writes, 2 Peter 3, verse 9, uh, Bruce and, and Jenna, that the Lord is patient, not as we humans count patience. He does not desire that anyone perish, but all come to repentance. So Peter saw that as well. By the way, isn't it interesting that the one guy Think about it, Bruce. The one guy that says God is patient and, doesn't, and he doesn't want anybody to perish, wants all to come to repentance, who's the guy? Peter? Who committed the big one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who committed the big nasty? It's Peter. It's Peter. Sometimes when a man knows brokenness, a man knows grace. When a woman knows brokenness, she can know grace. And so if I may, Jenna, make a clinical comment, not certainly directed towards you, but to all of us. But you prompted that thought in me. When children experience abandonment and have profoundly disattuned parents and parents who shame and project all their garbage on their kids. To the tune that the kids are growing up in this with this neurotic kind of stress and anxiety. That I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm bad. I can't make mommy happy, and I can't make mommy stop yelling, and I can't make daddy happy, and daddy won't stop yelling and hitting and hitting me with words and hitting me with things. And little kids who grow up in that. Struggle with grace. And so they'll they'll read 15 and 18 and they'll go, ha. Applies to others. <laughs> applies very well to others, but they have they have a kind of emotional disconnect that it applies to them. Yeah. So it hits me deeply, Bruce. Um, I mean, it's 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 no fancy intellectual gymnastics are required to understand the idea that Isaiah is using the word long. Passion, longing, desire, intent, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He could have said, um, if you'll repent, there's a chance God will be gracious to you. And if he said that, we'd go, blessed be the word of God, that's the truth. You know, we we wouldn't challenge that. But he doesn't say, if you guys just repent, you know, there's a chance God will show grace. He doesn't say that. It's like he's the one that has the correct motives, even if Israel doesn't, he does. It's like saying, "I love you, even if you don't love me." I love that's you know. You asked that question. How does it hit us? It hits me. I, mean, I need to. I need to be thinking like that as a parent. Absolutely. Uh, I. I need to do likewise. Yeah, that's how. It hits me. Sure. That's which is which is the cool. whole point. Yeah, there it is. And so can you appreciate now what it means when someone says, oh, you're so godly? What does godly mean? Like God, right? So if you're godly, you're acting in a way that's in keeping with God's character, yeah. So we need to be gracious people, sure. Um, And I love the way he holds it in tandem, verse 18. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are all those who long for him we we tend to think that justice and compassion are oppositional you know what opposite means okay what does opposite mean when something's oppositional
1: it's a good game. night it's, it's a good thing this is Boston. good
0: oh, i'm getting yeah, tingles <laughs> I can't say anything by you. What? Yes. Your wicked smart. All right, that's what it is. So <laughs> when something's oppositional, it literally means it's opposed, right? It's opposed to itself. Uh, this one's left, this one's right. When it's oppositional, it means it's running parallel. They're on the same side of the equation. These are oppositional concepts. And those are oppositional on that side. Uh, yeah. So, because oppositional. Our says that
1: if you, it's oppositional. If you
0: seek justice, you're not compassionate. Exactly. You that and and think about it. That's a really cool demonic idea. I say cool. I mean that in a in a sarcastic way. It's the world's sneaky trick. Their cool sneaky device is if we can get people to think oppositionally. There's no way God can be good and judge at the same time. Ah, we create confusion. We got him. We got him. But the opposite is true. It's appositional. God's compassion and mercy run right alongside his justice at the same time. They're not oppositional. They're actually appositional. They're they're tandem. They're together. And when you think about it, that is absolutely true because what is compassion? Compassion. If there is no law, there's no truth. You know. I, I know it sounds silly, bear with the idea. But, um, am I allowed to talk about the baby? Yeah, that's fine. Okay, I just got the green light. Um, Sabrina and Quentin are with child. <laughs> 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 and Rebecca and Stephen. <laughs> oh, so Taking a break this time. Yeah. Somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Be up next week. <laughs> now, this precious little baby in in Sabrina's tummy. Um, what if this little, this little baby, gorilla boy, grows up and has the idea? that mom and dad love the child because they have to. Mom and dad are programmed to do that. And they have no choice. Would that be true love? If love is a computer program, is it love? Not at all. What if the child realizes that mom and dad could hate the child? But mom and dad choose love. Now what? It gives love meaning. In fact, without hate, love doesn't even exist. If you push your theology and your philosophy correctly, love becomes absurd if there's nothing, if there's no hate. But because of the capacity for hate, love becomes profound. And hate becomes profound as well. So without God's justice, compassion and mercy are absurd and so Isaiah lays them side by side if you're going to get one you're going to get the other and that's why, that's why it's incredible that's why it's like changing and repentance literally turning back sitting down returning rest in other words go to God and don't go to Egypt go to God don't go to Egypt you'll be saved and in quietness and trust that will be your strength therefore the Lord longs to be gracious and he waits on high to have compassion on you for the Lord is God of justice how blessed are all those who long for him I'm thinking of a story in Luke's gospel does that can you hear the echo Luke 15 a story of a lost sheep a lost coin a lost boy three stories of objects that are lost and what's unique, Bruce, about the father? What does the prodigal the son... Pro- do? yeah. What does he do? How does he act during this whole time? He, uh, contrary to culture. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Does he long for his son? Yes, he does. He does. He when adapt. he sees Almost him... So that he understands Yeah, yeah. He doesn't sit there. If you're going to approach me, you better come on my terms, boy. Totally because I'm going to take you to the woodshed as soon as you get here. None of that. The Lord longs to be gracious. He waits on high. The waiting father, by the way, Helmut a brilliant theologian, I remember studying him years ago, wrote a book called The Waiting Father. And you know, God is just like that. He waits. Yeah. I oh, blessed are those who long for him. Uh, verse 19, for you, people in Zion, inhabitant in Jerusalem, you will weep no longer. He will certainly be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. In other words, ask. Ask, by the way, the same idea is communicated back in Hebrew. Um, you're gonna, verse 2, you're going to proceed down to Egypt without asking me about it? You need to talk to me. Don't listen to those knucklehead politicians. Talk to me he will be gracious at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. Look at this. Although the Lord has given you bread of deprivation and the water of oppression, which is Hebrew language for saying, you're getting the consequences of your sins, is what that means. He, your teacher, will no longer hide himself, but your eyes will see your teacher. Your ears will hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right or the left. Can you imagine so walking with God and having that kind of spiritual intimacy with him that it's like, hey, hey, turn here. Okay, keep going. Good. Good. Come on, hold oh my hand. Let's walk together. Nope, no, 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 no. We've got to go to the right. And it's like there's a voice right here. It's like he's walking right behind you. Um, Stephen, um, having Rebecca and Stephen and the kids live at home—it's a beautiful thing—and to see the three generations working—it's <laughs> a good thing. And I, and I wait on high. I'm just kidding, just kidding. So Valentine's Day, Valentine's Day, um, Stephen does some special things. And I get I'm in a position I get to see this now, so it's really cool. He does some special things for all the girls, and he pulls up with all this stuff. And then he says, I don't know, Caroline. Or he he gives a direct to one of the kids, tell Isaiah to come out here to help me. And I and I I ever the helping one, go well. I mean I can help too, you know. And so I I, I get up and start to go out. And he goes, no no no, I need Isaiah. And I go okay. So, sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Favorite son of a okay. And so Isaiah comes out, and Rebecca goes, oh, I know what he's doing. And I go, what is he doing? Why does he need Isaiah? And he said this, I am teaching Isaiah how to bring flowers to a woman. And I want to teach him how to be a man. Oh. And I'm like, ooh, I'm getting away from that one. Yeah, dad, do your thing. And it's like Stephen was behind us. They saying, okay, buddy, I will you take these flowers and you're going to bring them to your mom. You know? He's kind of living that out. Walking right behind, you know, the big man, right behind the little man as you're going inside the house. And he's whispering and directives. his teacher was talking to him. And your eyes, you're going to see your teacher and your ears are going to hear the word behind you saying, hey, this is the way. Come on. Here's how you do it. This is how man treats a woman. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful moment, sir. Um, Now, what you're about to hear, mm, if you want a functional definition of repentance, here it is. Okay. You will desecrate your carved images plated with silver, And your cast metal images plated with gold and you will scatter them as a filthy thing and you will say, be gone. That's repentance. And that's where we find repentance and rest and quietness and trust when we say to the filthy things that we have let into our life, be gone. Enough. (coughs) But when we toy with the filthy things of the enemy and we keep them on a leash, we are entertained by them, we keep them hidden in our little tents, It is a turning away from God, and it's going to Egypt. That we think the things of this world are going to make us happy, and they won't. So, can you imagine screaming enough? Be gone! And you take stuff to the trash Mm -hmm. can and you throw it away. You take a sledgehammer and you smash it up, and you give. That's cool. That's what repentance looks like. And by the way, I need to push this and we'll we'll wrap it up. When you've seen your God, when you see your teacher, and you really get him, and you really get his heart, that he longs, he's in love with you way more than you're going to be in love with him. You know? And you get his compassion, and you experience that, you see him with your eyes, you hear him with your ears, you throw the evil stuff away. Okay. And the people who talk, big talk about God and they talk about all this religious psychobabble, but they keep their hidden things, they have not met with God. They've met with themselves, or they've met with people like them, but they have not met with the true God, the Holy One of Israel, they've not seen the teacher with their eyes nor hear, heard the teacher with their ears they're just talking but when you see God you throw the bad things away so let's pop over to 1 Corinthians 10 backward deal this identical language identical story is revealed in the New Testament. Look at verse 13. Now he's talking to the Corinthians, and he says, Look, no temptation has overcome you um, except something common to mankind. And God is faithful, so that he will not allow you to be tempted beyond... Well, you're able, but with that temptation, it will provide a way of escape so that you'll be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from my idolatry. Be gone. Throw it away. I speak to you as wise people. You then judge what I say. I dare you to judge me, what I'm telling you. And then look at how Bruce talked about a precursor to the Lord's Supper. Is the cup of blessing which we bless not a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is the bread which we speak not a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. Look at the people of Israel. Are those who eat the sacrifices not partakers in the altar? What do I mean then that food sacrificed to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? That this is a piece of wood plated with gold and silver. Is it anything? Paul answers very wisely, no. It's just a chunk of wood carved up with plated gold on it. But I say to you, the things with the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons, which are very real and not to God. And I don't want you to sit at the table I don't want you to be partakers with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we not stronger than He? Are we? Which is a type of rhetoric. You know you're not stronger than him so quit acting like you are. Strong horses are not going to help you. Egyptian horses the finest horse flesh in the land. It's not enough. You can't run out, you can't outrun God. So. It's a good time maybe to look inside, let a man examine himself, let a woman examine himself, and see if uh, there's some things that you need to say and be gone. We're done. What I received from the Lord, I delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread and he broke it and he said, Take it. This is my body. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink from it, all of you. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim, the Lord's death until he comes God says son as the ultimate and final sacrifice because he longs for us he longs to have compassion to be gracious to us and he wants to whisper in our ear I'm with you walk with me Abba, Father, thank you for Isaiah and what you're teaching us through him. I ask you the blessings right now. We take the cup and take the bread that we are sharers in the altar. We are partaking into the flesh and blood of your son and his death for us. Please bless. Thank you for your unfailing love. In Jesus' name, amen.